It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. A social it. distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, this is Wednesday, which means Armchair Politics is coming up in a little bit. And uh, Jan Worth Nelson from East Village Magazine will be uh, joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, for what should be a very interesting uh, edition of armchair politics this week i suspect next week's will be uh, uh, a good one as well but uh, we're going to start out today uh, talking a little bit about um, the economy as uh, as we do from time to time with uh, economist from university of michigan flint chris douglas who joins me by phone chris welcome to the show hey tom great to be here um Chris, I'm, I'm, there are so many things going on since uh, what happened last week at, uh, at the Capitol and what's going on with presidential succession and all that. But how do these things play on Wall Street? Well, so far it doesn't seem to have played at all. Is that the stock market rose on that same Wednesday that the incident at the Capitol happened? So I think it I think it depends on how seriously Wall Street takes political instability like that as a threat. Um, if there was a serious threat that, say, the U.S. government could be toppled, well, that certainly would cause a reaction on Wall Street. But I don't think there is anyone out there who thinks that there is a serious threat that um, presidential succession could have been affected by Wednesday or the existence of the federal government could have been, could have been at threat on Wednesday. So as tragic as the events were on Wednesday, it doesn't seem like there's a real threat to U.S. political stability. Hence, there wasn't much of a reaction on Wall Street. So it's like anything, um, Wall Street reacts when it thinks that 
um, there's a threat to the status quo and that the status quo could be disrupted. So since the market continued to rise on Wednesday, uh, Wall Street, I don't believe, really thought that. Should, should, we, was. should we make anything out of that fact? Um, should that give some comfort to other people who've been sort of, uh, some people have been actually panic-stricken by the events of the last uh, week or so? And, and threats of, of future violence, or does Wall Street get it wrong sometimes? Uh, I think people should uh, be comforted, the fact that the, that Wall Street didn't react to Wednesday, because as horrific as the events that Wednesday looked on TV, um, there wasn't a long-term threat to the government. You know, presidential succession will happen on Wednesday. I think there's a high likelihood that life goes on um, after next week. So Wall Street does get it wrong sometimes in that sometimes they don't see events happening. For instance, uh, the coronavirus was known to be in existence in China since January of last year. But Wall Street didn't react to that until mid-March when the stock market started cratering. So sometimes Wall Street might underplay a threat. So there's always a risk that that's what's happening right now. Uh, but I think people, it's hard to find comfort um, nowadays with what's going on in the world. So I think one source of comfort might be, well, at least Wall Street doesn't believe that the existence of the U.S. government is in peril. Um, and, and along those lines, of course, uh, we're in a new year now. And uh, happy New Year, by the way, Chris. I don't know yeah, if I got a chance. Yeah, happy New Year to you too. I don't know if I got a chance to to tell you that yet, but um, a lot of people at at you know on December thirty first were looking forward to twenty twenty one as as being completely different and all new and a clean slate, and then the clock rolled over at midnight and we still have a pandemic there's still a lot of people out of work and then you know these things have have happened uh, uh, with regard to presidential succession as we've been talking um, is what kind of shape is the economy in going to into 2021 it could be better um, yeah, I know that people wanted 2021 to be a clean slate, but January 1st is just another day on the calendar, one day removed from December 31st, 2020. So it's not like there could be a real clean break um, just moving one day forward in a week. Unfortunately, I wish it could be. I wish we could just wipe the slate clean well, I think a lot of, I think a lot of people really wanted to be optimistic about it and, and built it up in their minds, and then they woke up on, on January 1st and went, well, no, it's uh, it's still pretty much the same. Yeah, I think um, January 1st was Friday, so it's not like there's going to be a massive shift in reality, if you will, between a Thursday and a Friday as much as we would have liked there to be. Um, yeah, it seems like you know 2021 is on the same path at least two weeks in um, compared to 2020, unfortunately. Um, and unfortunately, that path seems to be going downhill in a lot of respects, at least from the economic standpoint. You know, the market still is up. You know, that's a good thing if you're in the market, but lots of people aren't. It's something like half of Americans own stocks, but the concentration of stockholders are concentrated at the top 10%. So 
a railing stock market doesn't do a whole lot for at least half of the Americans who don't own stocks. But at least it's a reassuring sign when reassuring signs are hard to find. Um, the December jobs report that was released on the first Friday of January was very disappointing that there were um, about 145,000 jobs lost on net in December. Um, that was driven by a half a million jobs being lost in the hospitality sector in December. Um, you have the wave of shutdowns um, that have swept across some states that closed bars and restaurants and other hospitality venues like in Michigan. So there were some bright spots of the jobs report. Um, construction, manufacturing saw some job gains, but those were completely overshadowed and overwhelmed by just the sheer number of job losses um, in the hospitality sector. So the sooner the vaccine could be distributed, be taken up, uh, the sooner that those job losses can be reversed, but the disconcerting sign that the vaccine rollout has been bumpy to say the least, uh, which is very disappointing because the government at all levels, federal, state, and local, but really federal and state, you know, had the better part of nine months to get ready for a vaccine rollout because when the first shutdown happened in March, everyone kind of knew the end game was a vaccine. So here we have a vaccine approved by the FDA in November, much faster than what people anticipated back in March and April. So it's kind of like, well, what was the federal, the state governments doing during that time? Because it certainly seems like they weren't getting ready to roll, roll out a vaccine, given how bumpy the rollout has been. Well, do, you, do you think they were just taken by surprise at, at how quickly uh, uh, companies were able to um, get a vaccine and, and test it with the, with the whole warp speed uh, attitude? Yeah, it's hard to say, um, although if the vaccine would have been released in the summer or this, this coming fall instead, I have a hard time believing the vaccine rollout would have got any better. Um, it's just disappointing in the sense that you think in terms of developing and administering a vaccine, you know, 99% plus of the work would be in developing the vaccine. Actually giving people the shot would be the easy part of it. And that doesn't seem to be the case. It's hard to, it's hard to understand how the state of the local, state and federal governments were able to drop the ball um, during what should have been the easy part of the vaccine development and when the light is already visible at the end of the tunnel. It, do you think that it, that it has anything to do with um, the the severity of the pandemic and, and rises and, and falls in the numbers and the number of people that are hospitalized that that healthcare professionals are 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 just frankly too busy to to give people shots or is it a a, a, um, a supply chain problem? I mean, it's hard to say uh, where the um, bottleneck is. Uh, there is apparently enough healthcare professionals to administer COVID tests, so it's not clear why people administering tests can't also administer vaccines. Um, so, in terms of like what's the bottleneck of the supply chain, it's hard to know as an outsider looking in. It's just very disappointing that the bottleneck exists, given that. The government had the better part of nine or ten months to get ready for this. And it's very disappointing in that the economic recovery is being substantially slowed by this bottleneck and people's lives are being disrupted. Um, if you own a bar, if you own a restaurant, if you work at one of those establishments, you're seeing your livelihood uh, disappear. 
because of the shutdown that's occurring due to largely a part a very slow rollout of the vaccine. Um, how important is it's it's been kind of uh, pushed to the side because of uh, what happened at the at the U.S. Capitol last week and. Uh, with presidential uh, succession and and these other things uh, that are going on, but the idea of a um, second stimulus package, um, how how important is that, and and how soon do you think they'll get back to to addressing that issue? So there was already a second stimulus package passed at the end of December. Um, it's the one that gives everyone who received. What was the first size of the check? Uh, $1,200, I think. Yeah. yeah, so everyone who got one of those now gets $600. There's also additional funds for um, unemployment benefits, um, some additional funds for the Paycheck Protection Program, some additional funds to states to help with vaccine distribution. So that's really the second stimulus. I think people are somewhat disappointed with it in the sense that uh, maybe the checks could have been bigger. Uh, maybe some of the other benefits should have been bigger. So I think once Biden is inaugurated as president, the Democrats will have both houses of Congress. There'll probably be work on a third stimulus that might involve uh, bigger checks. I think President-elect Biden has said that a $2,000 check um, is going to be the first priority, or maybe it was Chuck Schumer who said that. But at any rate, I think there will be a push for a third stimulus um, after Inauguration Day. And I think that's one reason why the market's rallying, even despite what happened at the Capitol, because there's this expectation that you know, there might be another trillion dollars of government spending dumped into the economy, which will fuel uh, a rise in stock prices. Does it, um, does it fuel the economy, or are we uh, uh, kicking debt down the road? I think it fuels the economy in the short run. And that if you dump a trillion dollars into the economy right now with a third stimulus, you know, that trillion dollars is going to get spent on things produced by publicly traded corporations, Amazon, Walmart, and so forth. So that's going to increase stock prices right now. It comes at the potential cost of, well, there is future debt we have to deal with, but the, but the, but the potential cost is, well, that future debt might represent a real burden on the economy. So it's kind of like you get a benefit right now of a stimulus plus an increase in the stock market at the cost of, well, now 5, 10, 20 years down the road, you've got an extra trillion dollars worth of debt you have to figure out what to do with. Chris, I have to take a break here. Can you stick around so we can talk some more? Sure. All right. My guest is uh, Chris Douglas. He is an economist. Uh, who teaches at the University of Michigan Flint and is a regular contributor to our show, thankfully. And uh, we're going to let our broadcast partners at WFOV 92.1 FM, Our Voices Radio in Flint, squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then we'll be back. There's lots more of the Tom Sumner Program straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Wearing a mask helps prevent the spread of COVID-19. Wear your mask correctly. Wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds before putting on your mask. Holding the ear loops or ties, make sure the mask covers your nose and mouth and secure it around your chin. Try to fit it snugly against the sides of your face. Make sure you can breathe easily and keep the mask on the entire time you're in public. To learn more, visit cdc.gov coronavirus. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. TomSumnerProgram.com TomSumnerProgram.com
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan, Flint. Chris, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Oh, you're welcome. Great to be here, Tom. Um, you mentioned in the last segment, sort of parenthetically, about the uh, uh, Senate uh, flipping to um, a narrow Democratic control and that that paves the way for uh, some of President-elect Biden's uh, cabinet picks. But what do you think about some of the uh, financial people he's put in place? Can you um, give us a little overview of, of some of those people and how they're likely to um, af- affect uh, economic policy? Yeah, I think uh, status quo for the economic people he's put in place, at least the ones I'm aware of. So Janet Yellen is nominated to be the Treasury Secretary. So she served in the Obama administration of the Treasury Department, as well as the chair of the Federal Reserve. So I would expect uh, policy coming out of the federal government to look a lot like it did in the Obama administration. Also, I just saw that the head of the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, um, is going to be a Goldman Sachs alum. So a critic might say, well, we're back to the revolving door of Wall Street and the Treasury Department, Wall Street of the federal government, which I guess never really stopped at the Trump administration. So I would expect things to look basically status quo from a financial perspective, from an economic policymaking perspective, and that you're kind of seeing these old Wall Street hands, these old Obama administration hands uh, return to the federal government. And again, they never really left under the Trump administration. So I wouldn't expect to see the boat rocked very much in that regard. And, and um, are, are there some are, are there some surprises in Biden's economic team? Not really. Um, if you think about the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party, the Elizabeth Warrens of the world, uh, people like the AOCs of the world, they seem to be largely shut out of the of the uh, Biden administration. Uh, you're not seeing people like Elizabeth Warren get high-ranking Treasury positions or high-ranking regulatory positions. So it seems like it's going to be business as usual, which might be disappointing to progressives, but it shouldn't be that um, surprising in that Biden himself was never part of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. He's much more of a mainstream um, Democrat so it's not that surprising that his administration is reflecting that. The, you know, tax season is is coming up, and I'm curious what your thoughts are about revenue this year, uh, with so many people having been out of work. Do you, do you think there are going to there's there's any uh, loss of of revenue it, it certainly we'll see it at the state level but but at the federal level yeah i would expect there to be a loss of revenue um, just because a big chunk of federal revenue comes from personal income taxes um, it, with job losses loss of personal income you would expect there to be a hit but on the other hand If you look at personal income data, what's a bit unusual about this recession is that personal income hasn't really fallen like it has in previous recessions. So if you look at the Great Recession 10 years ago, uh, people's personal income took a big hit, and that that depressed 
personal income tax revenues. However, if anything, personal income is up during this recession, which is a bit surprising. I think that's a function of the very aggressive stimulus that was undertaken both in March and then in December uh, with the $1,200 and then the $600 checks and then with the $600 per week additional unemployment benefit back in March. And then I believe there's an additional $300 per week in unemployment benefits um, in, in this December package. So the very aggressive stimulus has, in some cases, more than fully replaced lost income. People have suffered as a result of this downturn. And as a result, perhaps personal income tax revenue is not going to be down um, come April. Is the stimulus money taxable? I believe it is. I'm not 100% sure about that, but I believe it's treated as taxable income. Uh, because unemployment benefits are taxable income, uh, as far as I can tell. I'm kind of the wrong person to ask about, you know, what's taxable, what's not. Um, but I, I, I'm fairly certain that it is. And at the state level, um, or at least at the local level, local governments are, de- are dependent on property tax revenues, of course. And one thing that's also unusual about this economic downturn is that property values have been maintained. Um, The housing market continues to be very robust and that there seems to be a shortage of houses on the market for people to buy. Well, that that causes property values to rise, which will cause property tax revenues for local governments to rise as well, or at least remain stable. So 10 years ago with the Great Recession, property values cratered. That caused a big loss in property tax revenues to local governments, which really put them in a pinch. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be the case right now, unfortunately. So local tax revenues um, seem to be fairly stable during this downturn. State tax revenues, that's always a million-dollar question uh, because state governments are dependent on both sales taxes and income taxes. Sales taxes took a hit with the first shutdown in March and April. Um, They seem to rebound in the summer and the fall uh, once the shutdowns were lifted and people returned to uh, retail establishments maybe more quickly than what was originally anticipated, which boosted sales tax revenues. But now with the second shutdown, at least in Michigan in November, extending into December, there's a chance that sales tax revenues will take a hit. And it remains to be seen how big that hit is. Uh, But again, uh, personal income seems to be stable or, or even up during the downturn, which will help um, state income tax revenues. So I think it's a question mark about income tax and sales tax revenues because you have lots of things going on with those. But with property tax revenues, those seem to be stable because property values are stable. I think the big reason why you're going to see the deficit increase at the federal level is just because of all the stimulus spending. You're talking about a trillion dollars here and a trillion dollars there. And now you're talking about three to four trillion dollar budget deficits. <laughs> and the old saying, a trillion here and a trillion there, pretty soon it adds up to real money. Yeah, well, I think it was a billion at first, but now the billion is the new trillion, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Or a trillion is the new billion. Uh, apparently. I, you know, I, it's it's funny. I've, I've looked back on uh, uh, some old news reports, I, and I can't remember why, but... I don't remember as a young person seeing the trillion figure um, ever. It, it was it might as well have been you know eighty thousand gazillion, um, and 
and yet when I look back, I see that it that it was a number that that even as far back as uh, FDR talking about trillions of dollars and um, but I, but I think you're right. I think it is the new the new billion. Um, on the subject of uh, of sales tax, um, has have online purchases and and sales tax there was a controversy over that for a while but has that pretty much worked itself out or has the increase in online purchases through the holiday shopping season and just throughout uh, last year because of the pandemic in general um, had any impact on the collection of sales taxes by states so there was a court decision a few years ago called a few years ago called the Wayfair decision where various state governments sued uh, to be able to collect online sales tax. And the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the state government. So as of a few years ago, state governments are collecting online sales tax. So assuming they're physically able to collect those sales tax, there's not an issue of tax avoidance. Well, then state sales tax revenue should be unaffected. Uh, for online shopping versus in-person shopping. Uh, but I had that Wayfair decision, and it's called the Wayfair decision because I think the company sued was the online furniture company, Wayfair. Mm. Uh, had that decision not happened, um, well, it would be a very different story if people were shopping online but not paying sales tax. But when you shop at like Amazon.com or some other online outlet, you'll see that sales tax is being collected and those sales tax collections are being remitted to state governments. So that helps stabilize sales tax revenues, even though there's been this massive shift from in-person shopping to online shopping. Does that tax money go to the, st in the, to the state coffers of the purchaser or the seller? The purchaser. So okay. if you're in Michigan and you buy from Amazon, uh, Amazon has to remit that sales tax to the state government. Um, just like if you were shopping at uh, Walmart in Michigan, uh, Walmart would have to remit that sales tax to the state government. Gotcha. I, I saw a piece in the um, uh, Wall Street Journal that said the EPA was blocking uh, climate change rules um is is that going to be a, a thing for companies that are uh, investing in uh, a, a greener economy potentially although i think there would be a wide expectation that the incoming biden administration would overturn that block and that climate change regulation would look a lot like it did during the obama years I think there's a wide expectation that um, under a President Biden, the U.S. will sign back on to the Paris Climate Accord. So even if there is a temporary blockage of EPA regulations, I don't think a lot of people think that will be long term. So I think that since investment decisions are based on long term expectations, that the EPA blockage won't affect um, corporate investment in green initiatives. What are the, uh, the the big things that that 
we can expect. Um, I'm going to ask you to put your forecasting hat on. <laughs> but what going forward in uh, in 2021, um, there's a certain amount of uncertainty because of you know the slow rollout of the vaccine and you know when when will we get back to normal and so on but what's what what are the indicators predicting yeah that's a good question because so much of 2021 depends on the pandemic easing and the vaccine being rolled out so it's hard to say what the indicators are predicting because so much of those indicators depends on the course of the pandemic and the course of the vaccine. So to give the classic, you know, two-handed economist <laughs> answer, I think on the one hand, um, if the vaccine is rolled out, if the hiccups, bottlenecks get resolved, and by summer you have a pretty widespread rollout, and the vaccine in practice turns out to be as effective as it was in clinical trials, but I think things get back to normal pretty quickly. I think people are sick of being cooped up for the better part of a year. People are, into, are eager to get back to traveling, eager to get back to going to restaurants and so forth. So I think you see a pretty robust economic rebound if that happens. Um, if the vaccine is slow to be rolled out, uh, if it comes summer and you're still not seeing uh, people in groups 1A and 1B being vaccinated, let alone people in the lower groups, well, then I think you're going to see summer 2021 look a lot like summer of 2020. And I think there's pretty decent evidence out there that the coronavirus is seasonal and that you see upticks in the colder months and you see a leveling of cases in the summer months. So if that's the case, you might see people kind of get back out and about in the summer months as the cases ease. And then if the vaccine still isn't being rolled out in the fall, then I think you'll see like November, December 2021 look a lot like November, December 2020. So I think you're also going to see more stimulus packages out there. I think in, in January or February, it's almost a guarantee you're going to see something since the Democrats control all three branches of government. I think it's likely that if there are still hiccups in the summer with the vaccine, you see a fourth stimulus package pass. But if you start seeing, you know, these trillion-dollar stimulus packages passed every six months that just tack on another trillion dollars to the national debt, you start to have to worry about, well, how long can the federal government run these three to four trillion-dollar national debts before it catches up with them? You know, how long can the federal, how long can the Federal Reserve aggressively increase the money supply before inflation starts kicking in? Uh, so that starts to be a concern if you started approaching the end of 2021 and looking into 2022. So that would be my forecast. You have the optimistic forecast versus <laughs> the pessimistic forecast. On the one hand and on the other hand. Um, but talking about, about job growth, if there is um, a, a return to normal through, uh, you know, perhaps even... Uh, you know, the, the easing of the summer months and the overlap of the vaccine becoming more and more available. Um, are we going to see a huge spike in people getting back to work? Or is there some uh, lasting damage that, that may slow 
uh, return to normal as far as uh, jobs and, and job growth. Uh, how will that play out, do you think? So the classic economist answer, it depends. So I think it depends on two things. First, how many businesses permanently failed due to the shutdown. Uh, you see statistics out there that suggest that based on Yelp listings, uh, 60% of restaurants who are listed as closed on Yelp are permanently closed. It's hard to know how seriously to take that number because Yelp is uh, based on user-reported um, data. So it could be the case that a lot of those permanent closings are wrong. Uh, but certainly there are going to be sub-bars at the restaurants who permanently fold uh, due to the shutdown, which means that that sector is going to be slower to rebound because in order for the sector to fully rebound, it's going to take new entrepreneurs to enter that space and create new bars and restaurants, which is much slower to happen compared to an existing bar and restaurant just reopening. So that's the first thing the recovery depends on. How many permanent business failures were there due to the shutdown? And the longer a shutdown occurs, the more permanent business failings you see, which slows a future recovery. And then the second thing it depends on is how do consumer preferences change as a result of what we've gone through over the last year? It's likely that consumer behavior has permanently changed in lots of regards um, due to um, the pandemic. For instance, how likely are consumers going to be to go back to crowded bars and restaurants? You know, in pre-pandemic ages, you might be shoulder to shoulder in a bar or a restaurant waiting for a table or just hanging out. I think people are going to be hesitant um, to do that, even if it's perfectly safe. It's just going to kind of feel It's going to um, be a while dangerous. before people's confidence returns. That's right. I mean, it's kind of like standing at the top of a tall building, even with a safety harness. You know, you're safe but it still just feels dangerous, right? So you're hesitant to do it, at least I am. But then you start thinking about people's work behavior. How likely are people going to be to go back to work where they've been working at home for the better part of a year? You know, lots of people had commutes where it might be an hour or two each way to the office if you're working in a major city like Chicago or Los Angeles. You, know, you might say to your employer, well, hey, I've been working at home just fine for the last year. Why should I go back to the office and have to deal with a commute again? Or if you're a a, a worker who traveled a lot for business, well, you've been conducting all those business meetings on Zoom, your employer might say, hey, let's continue conducting these business meetings on Zoom because Zoom is free, whereas a business trip might run a few thousand dollars with airfare, hotels, and so forth. So you might see business travel permanently reduced as a result of the pandemic. That would be a real hardship for the airlines if that happened. I, I wonder if uh, some of those things, Zoom meetings and working from home, are are maybe uh, maybe here to stay. Yeah, I think they are. Just in some, in a lot of regards, um, if you could conduct a business meeting on Zoom, why would you travel for business and under undertake all that additional expense? That would be a real problem for the airlines because business travel is something like ten percent of airline travel but it's something like 70% of airline profits because business travelers book expensive last-minute tickets, business travelers book expensive first-class tickets. So if business travel is permanently reduced, well, that's going to be a permanent hit to airline profits, which suggests that even when things return to normal, whatever that is, they're never going to return to normal for the airlines. So what do the airlines do in response? Do they permanently contract um, 
we've seen airline contraction really after every single recession, going back to the oil shocks of the 1970s. So we might be in for another round of airline contraction in 2022. And we only have four airlines really right now. Do we go down to three or two airlines? Do some cities lose their hub status like has happened um, after each successive round of airline contraction we've seen? I think those are all real possibilities. And are prices likely to rise? Yeah, I mean, if you don't have business travel subsidizing leisure travel, like what was the case pre-pandemic, if you're a leisure traveler, you might get some sticker shock saying, well, you know, rather than paying 300 bucks for a ticket to Florida, maybe you're now paying five or $600 for a ticket to Florida because you don't have a business traveler on that flight who paid $1,500 for his first-class seat. So the airline has to make up the lost revenue by charging everyone else more. What are the industries um, that are going to do extremely well in some imagined new normal? Yeah, I think we're already seeing those industries. The Amazons of the world, the Netflixes of the world, the industries that do well when people are working and shopping remotely. And I think that trend is here to stay. Um, so I think we already have kind of a taste about what the new normal looks like. You have these internet behemoths doing well and the small businesses really struggling. And I think you're going to see uh, sectors that are struggling right now uh, continue, to, continue to struggle even when things return to normal just because consumer and business habits have permanently changed as a result. You know, things like the airlines, things like the travel industry, things like the hospitality industry, things like arts and entertainment. You think about like a Broadway play. Um, you know, I went to a couple of Broadway, not on Broadway, but off Broadway plays before the pandemic. You had the better part of a thousand to fifteen hundred people at a theater, you know, crammed shoulder to shoulder to see, say, Hamilton. Well, how likely are people going to be to go back to doing that even after things return to normal? I think people are going to be pretty hesitant. It's going to be hard to have a musical profitably if you can't sell tickets to it. Or it's going to be hard to have entertainment just in general if you can't sell, say, concert tickets or you can't sell sporting event tickets. Not because you you can't legally sell them, just because no one's really willing to buy and go back to being in a packed arena. So I think those are some industries that are going to really struggle even after things return to normal. Unless consumers are just like, hey, everything's normal. I feel perfectly safe going back to being at a 1,500-person auditorium or a 100,000-person stadium like the big house. So, hey, I'll continue, or I'll go back to buying football tickets. I just don't think that's very likely. When do you think we'll know? Uh, I think we'll know maybe a year after the vaccine is widely rolled out. So if the, if the vaccine is widely rolled out by the summer, I think by mid-2022, we'll, we'll know for sure if things are going back to normal or not. I think it'll be really interesting to see what the college football season in 2022 looks like. Because conceivably, we've had a year into the vaccine. If things are going to return to normal, they should have, been, they should have by then. Well, Chris, uh, I need to take a, uh, a short break here. Can you stick around so we can wrap things up? Sure. Okay. Uh, my guest is uh, Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint, and we'll have 
More on the uh, state of the economy when we return. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. The Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner 
Program.com. First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan, Flint. And Chris, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Oh, you're welcome. Great to be back. Um, you know, I mentioned going into the break that we were talking about the state of the economy, but uh, we've actually been talking about some different aspects of it. What, how would you rate the state of the economy? Yeah, it depends on what the benchmark is. So if the benchmark is February 2020, the state of the economy is terrible. Um, February 2020, it's hard to believe that the unemployment rate was 3.5%. It was basically a 50-year low. And then from February to April, we went from the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years to the worst unemployment rate since the Great Depression. So by that measure, the unemployment rate being 6.7% right now, the economy is not very good. However, if you compare the state of the economy to April, arguably the state of the economy is better than what people were expecting. I think a lot of people were expecting double-digit unemployment to persist through the rest of 2020. Um, I think people were expecting um, the contraction in the second quarter of 2020 to be worse than what it was. So I think in a lot of respects, 2020 finished out stronger than what people were anticipating, but that's only because people were anticipating things being so terrible and things didn't end up as terrible as anticipated. I think right now the economy is a disappointment starting 2021, given that the fall, like I said, was better than expected, and that's largely because of the second wave of shutdowns that occurred. So I think... It's a complicated answer, but to simplify it, I would say in the fall, I think things are better than expected, but going into the winter, things are worse than expected. But regardless of that, things are just so much worse than what they were to start out 2020. Does it seem that it's... That it's um that it's improving, that it's returning, or is it just stuck where it is until something changes with vaccines and, and the pandemic? It's just so hard to say because when you look at, say, June, July, August, September, it really looked like things were improving. You had uh, months in in the summer, June in particular, where you had more than one million job, jobs gained on net, meaning more than one million more people gained a job that lost a job um, in June. So the pandemic saw 20 million jobs wiped out basically overnight in economic terms. So do you see job gains like that in June? You could get optimistic and say, hey, look, things are really roaring back. The shutdowns are easing. You know, people are eager to return to bars and restaurants and some, some sort of um, normality. So that was really optimistic. But you know, come November, December, you see another wave of shutdowns in states like California, states like Michigan and Pennsylvania. And that's really caused the economic recovery to stagnate so that 20 million jobs were lost. Only 10 million jobs have been gained so that we ended 2020 10 million jobs down compared to what we started 2020 with. 
So I think there's just a big question mark with the economy right now because so much of the recovery depends on the shutdowns being lifted like they were in the summer. And it's just so hard to know when that lifting will occur. I saw a report suggesting that um, indoor dining will return in Michigan in February. If that's the case, certainly that would help. But I don't think you're going to ever see the shutdowns be permanently lifted until you see a vaccine rolled out. So I think the answer to the question is it just it just so much depends on the vaccine. Well, we'll keep uh, checking up on it from time to time with uh, our uh, frequent uh, contributor, economist, uh, Chris Douglas. Chris, thanks so much for spending this time with me this morning. I look forward to uh, our next conversation. I do, too. It's always great to be here, Tom. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. You, too. And uh, that's um, Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan, Flint. He joins us uh, about once a month just to keep track of how things are going with the economy. We, we uh, Don't forget, we have uh, armchair politics coming up at the top of the hour. And lots to talk about. Lots of things going on since last we uh, uh, convened the roundtable and joining our roundtable regulars who are, of course, Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right um, will be Jan Worth Nelson from East Village Magazine. It's always fun when uh, Jan joins the, uh, the roundtable. So uh, that being the case, we'll move on. Lots more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
just like Cary Grant's Bought a pair of those new tight pants A waste of money Household finance took my pants <laughs> The female gender, I just don't get it. Just when I'm out of both cash and credit, I found a honey. And this is what's funny. She don't need my money. She works for household finance. <laughs> A difference a day makes twenty four little hours brought the sun and the flowers where they used to be rain. My But today I'm a part of you, dear My lonely nights are through, dear Since you said you were mine Lord, what a difference a day made Since that moment of bliss Oh baby, that thrilling kiss It's heaven when you Find romance on your menu And what a difference Day makes, and the difference is simply you. You 
pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. 